Hey, this is a Hakawati production. Hey, friends, welcome to the show. My next guest created a company that freezes and tests sperm. Legacy is a startup that's catering to a whole new market. It includes men who want to make sure they're producing their best possible offspring and men who want to ensure they can have kids in the future. Joining us from Boston, please welcome the founder, Khaled Khtaili. Hi, Khaled. It's great to have you here. Hi, <laughs> great to be here. So just when we thought COVID-19 was just a respiratory thing, there's evidence now that COVID-19 might also be affecting other body parts. It's causing, uh, among other things, inflammation in people's brains, including in kids, but it might also be affecting men's sperm. What's going on with that? Yeah, so it's uh, it's something that's very concerning, but uh, it's not something we have conclusive evidence on just yet. Uh, so I, I've been a big believer since day one that in general, uh, you know, with, with a virus like this, you should do everything you can uh, to avoid catching it. Uh, so myself and the whole team have been sheltering in place for, uh, for months now. Um, so there, there's a few question marks when it comes to COVID and male fertility specifically. Um, so the, the theory is, so right now we know that men are more likely to get coronavirus than women are. Um, and the theory is that because the virus enters through something called the ACE2 receptors, uh, so the highest proportion of ACE2 receptors we have in the body are in the lungs, as it's a respiratory virus primarily, but the second highest percentage, um, obviously applying to men, is actually in the testicles. Uh, so the theory is that's why uh, men are more likely to get COVID than women. Uh, the question mark now is just to what extent is there a short-term or long-term effect? So we know pretty confidently that there is a short-term effect on male fertility. This is actually true for most viruses. E even getting a seasonal flu uh, will temporarily affect uh, fertility for several months. Um, there have been a couple of concerning studies suggesting that there might be a longer-term impact. Um, we don't yet know what we know or don't know, rather, um, but we are actually funding a study that will be kicking off shortly um, trying to identify if there is a long-term impact on semen parameters as a result of COVID. So when you say it has a short-term impact, does it just reduce the number of sperm or the mm -hmm. quality? Like, what do we know about this? Yeah, so I mean, there, there's a number of parameters that go into how you determine sperm quality. But um, at its core, I mean, you're likely to see a reduction in sperm count, a reduction in some other factors as well. Um, this is temporary. It's short-lived. Uh, and fun fact, actually, men can have a similar effect from spending too much time in the sauna or too much time in hot tubs. <laughs> I, I love that in your world. That's a fun fact. <laughs> and you're a man, so that's good. You have a, a nice positive outlook on it. Um, so could you have no symptoms of COVID and still be infected and have this problem? Yes, exactly. Uh, that's that's absolutely right. You You absolutely can. That's crazy. And how long is this study going to take? So it takes another fun fact for you. Uh, it takes two and a half to three months for the male body to produce new sperm. Uh, so typically you will see an effect over a three month period. Um, so what that means is that we won't know the full impacts for at least three months. So our study will be at least um, likely three to three and a half months. So where we are fortunate is that we already have a um, pretty significant data set. Of course, it's all anonymized and all absolutely completely opt in. Um, but we've been reaching out to some of our clients who've indicated that they have coronavirus and have been tested with us previously. Um, and we've been reaching out to them to ask uh, how they feel about getting tested again. Okay. That'll help speed up the research because we will already have a baseline sample. 
uh, from several months ago. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, what they find. So most men think they can have kids until the day they die, basically. But how safe is it really for, let's say, you know, a 65-year-old man, for example, to have a baby? I mean, there are so many fun facts here. I just <laughs> so so a few a few things on this. So, so first of all, I, I always say that you know the the biggest enemy that we have when it comes to creating urgency around a topic like this is Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger has had kids into his seventies. The guy is possibly the most virile you know guy on the planet. Um, but the reality is actually there's a lot of very real concerns when it comes to being an older father. Um, and typically you start to see, so so women have kind of a clear, quote unquote, biological clock um, around the 35 age range. Uh, for men, that that's probably closer to 40. Uh, but you see all kinds of negative impacts. So, for example, if you take a look at men who are 25 to 34, so relatively on the, on the younger age, and then you compare that to men who are 45 or older, so a little on the older age, um, and you assume, you know, you hold the maternal age, the age of the mother constant, um, You know, with, with an older father, you are 41% more likely to have a child born with low birth weight. Uh, the mother is a third more likely to develop gestational diabetes. Um, the baby is 20% more likely to have seizures. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of very scary risks associated with it. And even though the decline is not very abrupt, it happens slowly over time. But, um, you know, you can assume that your sperm quality declines about 1% per year as you get older. Wow. People just don't, I think, I've had this conversation with men and, and no one seems to think that that's true. So it's really interesting. And I know you have a study in one of your, uh, one of some of the literature um, that you shared with me that talks about a, a study on Icelandic men uh, in mm -hmm. nature. Yeah. So this, this, this was interesting too, that a man transmits two additional mutations to his child each year he gets older. So, so when you talk about uh, mutations, gene mutations, what, what can happen besides some of the things that you said? Yeah, so it's, uh, it, it was a pretty rigorous study, of course, on a limited sample because it was focused on, uh, on Iceland. Um, that said, so most genetic mutations are benign. So the vast majority of these that are occurring are not going to have any long-term negative impacts. But uh, the kind of genetic mutations that lead to congenital conditions uh, do come from age-related genetic mutations. So I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a clearer example. Um, so we don't understand autism particularly well. It's not something that we are able to screen for uh, at a young age. But we know that fathers who are over 40 are six times more likely to have children with autism relative to fathers who are 30 or younger. Uh, this was an extremely rigorous study. It looked at over 130,000 men. Um, and this is the kind of thing which shows us that these age-related genetic mutations are leading to uh, negative pregnancy-related outcomes. That's such an interesting fact because everyone's kind of wondering why there's this whole spike in autism. And at the mm -hmm. same time, we know that people are having children later in life, including men. So maybe there's a correlation here. That's There is absolutely a correlation. I mean, if, if you look at the statistics when it comes to Um, when it comes to couples who are trying to, to conceive, and I'm going to focus on heterosexual couples here because obviously the process is a little, is a little different for different types of couples. But, um, you know, I think about it in a few different ways. So one, uh, if you take the U.S., for example, which is where we primarily operate now, so the median age in the U.S., so the median age of the average person has gone up 10 years since the 1970s. So the median person is now 38 years old. Uh, in the 70s, the median person was 28 years old. So just as a baseline People are older. Um, then you think about the fact that, okay, well, couples are actually getting married later. 
So you think, okay, this makes sense, particularly when you think about women who are much more in the workplace, who are now prioritizing career or giving more priority to to career because the the workplace has opened up, um, and you know, hopefully this is this is a sign of of um, of you know reduced sexism over time. But so the median age of of marriage for women has increased from 21 to 27, call it. Uh, that's in the last 40 to 50 years. But then you look at the median age of marriage for men, that's also increased from 23 to 30. So what that means is, okay, people are older, couples are getting married later, both men and women. And then what that means is that by the time that couple decides to have children, you are more likely to both be older, which actually means you have Again, in a heterosexual couple, you're talking about a woman who is less fertile because she's older, a man who's less fertile because he's older. Um, and this actually has a compounding negative effect on your ability to have kids and to have healthy kids. So we recently hit a pretty big statistic, which is more women are giving birth in the 30 to 34 age range today than in the 25 to 29 age range, which actually tells you which tells you a lot. Um, so what kind of things would make a man want to keep his seat in storage for later use, which is what you guys do at Legacy? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we do a few things. And, uh, you know, we, we don't just do sperm freezing. We actually do uh, testing. We do sperm improvement. We do sperm freezing as well. Uh, and yes, we sometimes cheekily refer to them as assets. You know, our, our original our original tagline was this is really the, the Swiss private bank for your most valuable assets. Uh, obviously being a little bit cheeky there. Um, but really, because for, for many people, you know, you, you can get philosophical about why we're on this planet, but at a pure biological level, our purpose as a species is to reproduce. Um, and so for men, I mean, what, what really makes a lot of sense is you should really be doing this when you're 18 or 20, um, right? Which is when you have your, 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 your as young as possible, you're as healthy as possible. You can free sperm indefinitely with no loss in quality. They've unfrozen sperm after 40 or 50 years and found that it was as good as the day it was frozen. Right. So so you can ask a very natural next question, which is, OK, well, well, why haven't men been doing this? Part of the reason is the process today. And I will say pre legacy, because uh, obviously we, we focus a lot on the process, but the process just sucked. It was extremely uncomfortable. It was extremely awkward. You had to go to a local sperm bank. No one wants to do it. Um, so I, I did it myself about five years ago, and it was one of the top most awkward experiences in my life. And I say this running a male fertility company now. So you can imagine I have a lot of strange conversations <laughs> and experiences in my life now, but that still ranks in the top 10. So what was your experience like? And how does that compare with the experience that people have if they work with a company like Legacy? So first of all, I mean, what's what's the rating here? Are we talking PG-13? Are we talking 18? We're talking plus? like no PG. It's I mean, it's <laughs> what, what do you call it? Like R-rated. You can be as graphic as you want. Yeah. Wow. We like oh. R-rated here. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> we want all the details. What happened in there? Khaled. Okay, I'll, I will. <laughs> wow. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll walk you through the process. I, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a guy. Okay. Life is good. You're benefiting from the patriarchy, right? Um, and for whatever reason, you decide that you want to test or freeze your sperm. So step one, you have to find a local clinic to do it. Um, so, you know, I was living in Cambridge uh, in Boston at the time, and you see these ads all around Harvard campus Uh, for a company called California Cryobank saying, we want your sperm, which is weird enough as is. Uh, but it turns out that there's actually a huge industry that focuses on sperm donation and egg donation. Okay. And as a, as a quick caveat, if you are a female Harvard graduate, you can sell your eggs 
Uh, you actually have a lot of Chinese couples who are interested in this. Uh, in buying these, uh, you can sell your eggs for $50,000 a pop. Wow. So that's one. But, you know, so, so you know, you've seen these ads and you figure, okay, well, this is probably a place where I could go to do it myself. So, you know, you make a very awkward call. I just want to say you can't even pay for your tuition with that at Harvard. But, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's pretty you good. Can. It's better, I guess, than a, like a part-time job. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> you know, so you, you set up an appointment, you go in there and, you know, there's, there's a receptionist who asks you some questions um, and first of all, they've never heard of the concept of proactive sperm freezing before, right? So, so they ask you, be like, okay, great, you know, welcome to our clinic. So, are you here because you are um, getting a vasectomy? Are you here because you have cancer and you're freezing your sperm before starting chemotherapy, or are you transitioning to become a woman? And <laughs> uh, so, my experience is, well, you know, as far as I know, none of the three. I just think it's a good idea. Uh, and I remember the weirdest look that I got, she's like, okay, you know, in, in, in her head, she's thinking weirdo, you know, but she puts other uh, for, for a reason. So fine, that part's over with. Uh, here's what they do then. They then hand you a little cup uh, and they, they always, and, and by the way, this is what I find extremely uncomfortable. They always refer to your sperm sample as the specimen, right? So great, sir, we're, we're excited to get your specimen. Um, they then hand you, and again, depends how advanced your clinic is. They're getting you in the use, mood, huh? They're like, we're so yeah, excited to have oh, your specimen. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, so at that point, you're really excited to go. Um, and so they hand you, the, again, depending, are they in the Stone Age or are they in the Modern Age? Uh, they'll either hand you some DVDs with some extremely strange uh, titles, um, or they hand you magazines, right? And, and of course, you don't really want to touch anything, right? Because you know what these have been used for, but fine. They lead you to a very small room that feels like you're in a cupboard. Sometimes there's a leather couch, right? Sometimes it's covered, sometimes it's not, right? And so you're suddenly in this room, you are holding the specimen cup. You've got some probably, you know, pretty sticky magazines and DVDs. Um, and the worst part is, you know, sometimes you're under time pressure. So they'll say, you know, sir, we have, you know, if you could produce the specimen in the next five minutes, as we do have another patient uh, who needs to use the room after you. So this is just to kind of set the ambiance, you know, just the kind of the, the romantic setting that most men are asked to to produce a sample. Um, and of course, you know, again, you're dealing with with older men, you know, someone who's 18 might find it a lot easier. Someone who's 38 might find it a little bit more difficult. A guy who's 18 might be like, yeah, I'm going to hang out at this perm bank like every Friday. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a legitimate place. But you, you wouldn't believe how much theft there is of this pornographic material. Oh, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> but so are most uh, sperm banks still like that? I mean, are you guys unusual in this industry? Oh, yeah, yeah, we are. We are a mile apart. So so I'll, I'll quickly uh, finish, uh, so to speak. <laughs> you know, so you produce the sample, you hand them the cup, which is always just a weird experience in general. You then go home, you know, you feel slightly ashamed <laughs> of, you know, of what you had to do. Uh, and then a few days later, you will get you know, either you get a call or you get, you know, sometimes they want to fax you, but you will basically get it similar to getting a blood test. It's a bunch of numbers that mean nothing to you, right? I mean, the average man broadly has a concept of, okay, sperm count. He's probably heard that term before, but he's probably never heard the terms, you know, concentration, motility, morphology, pH, all of these other factors that are quite important, but you don't know what anything means. So then you have to get on the phone. You have to find a doctor, someone to walk you through the results and explain what everything means. So this is kind of the process from end to end at a traditional um, sperm bank or a clinic. And, and this is 
pretty consistent no matter where you are in the world uh, or, or you know what clinic you're at. Um, so our process is designed very carefully. So here's what you do with our process. You buy the product online. You get a kit in the mail the next morning. We're extremely fast. You then do whatever you have to do or whatever you want to do in whatever capacity you want to do. You produce your sample in the afternoon. We pick it up, we ship it to our clinic, we test it, and then within 24 hours, you have a beautiful, clear, well-explained report telling everything you ever wanted to know and more about your about your fertility. Okay. And then what happens? Well, it depends. So most men actually face some form of subfertility, which is fascinating in its own right. So we know that male fertility has declined at a generational level. So men today are about half as fertile as uh, 40 years ago. So that, that in and of itself is a concerning statistic. And part of what that translates to is that there was a very robust study done in Switzerland on young men in Switzerland who were going into the military. And they did a sperm test on all of them. And they found that actually about 60%, 62%, if I remember correctly, um, were actually subfertile or below the normal range on at least one of kind of the key factors of fertility. So what this tells you is even guys who are young and healthy and going to the military and living in a country as kind of clean and high quality Switzerland are still facing fertility issues. So, so what that means is we see a lot of clients who come through and are subfertile on one factor uh, or more. And so depending on the severity, you know, we'll schedule a call with them. We'll have someone walk them through their results. Uh, we offer telemedicine. We have an amazing Lebanese urologist on staff uh, who helps support on this. And, you know, it can be anything from them. That's just that's just the information they wanted to know. They don't want to do anything else. Sometimes it's couples that are trying to conceive that then want a referral to an IVF clinic. Um, and sometimes it's men who want to boost their fertility. Uh, and so we have a series of lifestyle recommendations we generate, supplements we can offer, uh, and even just counseling as they're going through the process of trying to improve their fertility. So improve their fertility, like so that they're more fertile, but can they also improve the quality of the sperm to reduce the chances of having any kind of like birth defects or genetic uh, problems? So this is a great question and one that I actually don't have a great answer uh, for you. So male fertility is one of the most underfunded, under-researched industries. And, and one of my priorities um, as the CEO of Legacy is making sure that we are helping support more research in the field. So we've already given out a couple of grants uh, to support research. Um, we're, we're even running our own studies. But the fact is, we actually don't understand that well what exactly is causing uh, things like congenital conditions or birth defects. So there's a lot of theories around you know genetic mutations, around DNA fragmentation of the sperm, um, but it's, it's not something we have a clear answer on. All we know is that there are certain supplements that will help improve elements of your sperm quality. We know that sperm is actually an excellent indicator of overall health. And so uh, lifestyle changes associated with health improvement are also likely to improve your sperm quality. We believe that this will improve kind of the, the, the genetic, the underlying genes that are going into your sperm. Uh, but we, we don't know it definitively. So I, I, one thing that caught my eye when I was reading 
your your information is that about one third of infertility in couples is caused by the man, a third is caused by the woman, and in the remaining cases, it's caused by both, uh, or is unexplained, which maybe it's just not meant to be, you know. <laughs> But um, so most people always assume. I, I feel like it's always assumed that it's the woman that has an issue. It's usually women that go to these fertility clinics and get these uh, hormonal treatments. Is it standard to test also the man? Yeah. So it's it's shocking to me because it is so much cheaper and easier to test the man. Uh, but you hear about a lot of cases, even before starting IVF, where the man is not tested. And this is because even OBGYNs, uh, even people in the field who are dealing with fertility still don't know much about or don't think about male fertility, um, which is, I mean, the, the number of OBGYNs that I've met who don't know anything about the statistics around male fertility is actually quite shocking. Um, and, and when you compare just how easy it is to test a guy's sample, uh, or should I say the specimen, uh, it's it's actually kind of shocking that it hasn't become completely routine uh, when, when you start to even think about conceiving. Yeah, that is shocking. It's strange. Um, so, so you have these kits that you mm -hmm. ship uh, overnight. Do you ship them all over the world or is it just in the U.S. right now? Right now we're in the U.S., but we're expanding internationally pretty quickly. As you can imagine, COVID has uh, negatively impacted those plans, um, but it's very much on the radar. So for us, Geneva will be our base into Europe. Uh, Dubai will be our base into the Middle East. Uh, and we have a couple of other uh, countries in mind as well. Yeah. So you founded Legacy in 2018, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And it was something that you kind of hatched at Harvard Innovation Labs. Mm -hmm. So it was mm -hmm. a very scholarly and well-researched uh, startup. <laughs> um, but it's since then grown and you've raised quite a bit of capital to grow and scale the company. First, you guys got $1.5 million uh, seed round led by Bain Capital Ventures. That was back uh, last year, last June. Yeah, yeah. And then just this January, you raised another $3.5 million. So obviously there's some interest in this industry. Um, just when we thought, you know, like a sperm bank was a sperm bank. How big is this industry? And have you seen it grow since you started? Yeah, massively. Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll address a few of the points that you made. So first of all, the, the initial funding that we had raised from Bain Capital Ventures um, was just from kind of some of the early fundraising that we had done. And there was just, there was a lot of excitement about the product. And I'll, I'll talk about more why I think that is in, in just a second. Um, but then we went through the Y Combinator program in uh, Silicon Valley last summer. And it's a fairly well-known uh, accelerator for kind of high potential startups. Um, and, and what's so beneficial about going through this program is it connects you to every major investor, um, basically anywhere in the world. I mean, you, you have investors literally flying in to watch these you know, 100 or so companies present at the end of the program. Uh, so that actually helped us a lot when it came to fundraising. It really opened up doors for us on the West Coast of the US where you tend to see you know, kind of more investment dollars, higher valuations and so on. So um, that, that was extremely helpful. But here's my theory on why we were able to raise. So first of all, I think it's a very, it's a fascinating space. We're doing something genuinely novel. You know, we were first to market with this. We built out an amazing team. Uh, but, but those are all kind of foundational. You need to have that to be able to raise venture capital. But my theory has always been that venture capitalists relate to problems that they themselves have faced. And guess what? The average venture capitalist is an older man. And so the number of investors we spoke to that had actually faced fertility challenges of their own was actually quite high. 
And so they were able, so many of them had actually gone through the process of going to a clinic. Many of them had gone through the process of producing a specimen and they knew exactly what we were talking about when we were talking about how uncomfortable and awkward the process is. And, and the reason I say this is because when you look at companies focus on female fertility um, and, and women's health, although there's extremely exciting companies here and the, and the, the industry certainly has grown in the last few years, I think that female fertility as a whole has been underfunded in part because, you know, straight white men who are older just can't necessarily relate to what uh, women are describing when they are fundraising for women's health companies. Um, so it's growing fast, obviously. Um, how did you come up with the idea, though? Uh, you know, when I was seven years old, I'm like, Mama, I want to run a sperm bank. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'll actually just give a, a quick plug, which is my mom is co-founding her own startup focused on menopause and helping women deal with the process of menopause. So really in the family, we're just taking on all weird topics uh, collectively. Well, they're not really weird. They're actually very common and very, you know, uh, basic and fundamental. So it's really surprising that they haven't been studied more. And, and I think you raised a good point. And it's great that you're doing that now in the family. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, we have weird, weird conversations at the dinner table. I remember having to tell my teta what I was doing. <laughs> that was a strange conversation. I yes, I can imagine. That was probably one of the top 10 awkward moments as well. Oh my gosh, that's uh -huh. hilarious. By the way, uh, you have new packaging, right? It's super nice. You just launched it in April. We do. So we totally redesigned our kits. Um, again, always focusing on kind of the user experience. We want it to be smooth, simple, easy to understand. Uh, and we also rebranded a couple of months ago. And so we wanted to make sure it was in line with kind of the, the new brand that we were building out for Legacy. I'm asking because I was looking at the images. I mean, no one would ever guess that you just ordered a sperm kit or even any kind of medical device or anything weird. It looks like it might be like perfume or some kind of men's beauty product. So congrats <laughs> on that. It looks great. Thank you. It's the only danger is like the, the wife might, uh, you know, crack it open because she thinks like. <laughs> uh, you, you know what? Actually, about half of the time, it's the female partner actually buying the product for her male partner. And so part of the reason that we rebranded the way that we did was that our branding was quite masculine a year ago. And we found that it turned off or turned away uh, some women who were considering buying this for their uh, uh, for their partner. And so we actually worked on making the brand masculine, but a little bit more gender neutral. Wow. So I, I picked up on that. Yeah, you did. It's, you did a good job. <laughs> it's like Thank the, you. it's a, a perfect uh, birthday gift. We, had, we actually had a spike in orders around Father's Day. So, Khaled, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you've really enlightened us today on, on something that's so, like, primal and, uh, and human and that is really under, not only under-researched, but people just don't talk about it um, and don't know about it. So, um, congratulations on, on your project and best of luck with, uh, with it as you move forward. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for having me. And I, I love what you're doing as well. And, and I'm a big fan of your work. Ah, oh, thanks so much. Take care, Khaled. And thank you for listening to the show. Check out this and other great shows in Arabic on Hakawadi.com. They're all available on your preferred podcasting platform. And be sure to subscribe to The Men's Room so you'll know what's coming up next. Take care, guys.